0: Hello and welcome to Claret and Blue. My name is Dan Rowlandson. I'm joined by Neil from the For the Love of Porn Grab podcast. We're here today to give six reasons why Aston Villa fans can still be positive uh, about the future of this season. It's been a very doom and gloom week, hasn't it, for for everyone involved with the Man United Mm -hmm. defeat and then the Bubakar Kamara injury. The last two podcasts we've done have been very downbeat, which is, in my opinion, fair and that's okay to be like that. We're past that now. It's Fulham on Saturday. There'll be a press conference tomorrow where Diego Carlos is now injured with a hamstring injury. We're not doing any negatives, Neil, all right? Positives only. No. So we've come up with six no. reasons, and there's some suggestions from supporters as well. And we're just going to have a chat about things generally. So no negativity allowed in this podcast. I'll let you kick yours off first. I've got them in front of me on a, another monitor here.
1: You've said Villa's record without Kamara isn't actually that bad. Uh, yeah, and look, I know that there's further of context involved in with, with regards to this, but, you know, a lot of people have immediately felt that Kamara, I suppose, is the is the worst injury of the most recent three. I think that we've had, um, you know, Kanza, Carlos, and 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 uh, and Kamara. And I suppose realistically, a lot of people might be going towards that one for the simple fact that, look we don't have anybody else that can play the the Bubakar Kamara role. And that's, and that's fair. That's absolutely 100%. There's no argument for me with regards to that. But when you look at Bubakar Kamara's, the, the history of, of of time that he's been out, we've, within the 12 games that we've played under Emery without Kamara. And there's been 12 games that we've played without him as well. Six wins, four draws, two losses, an average of 1.83 points. And, I suppose, realistically speaking, look, even me being probably one of the most ardently optimistic Aston Villa fans that are out there, you know, there's a part of me that is tingling on the inside with regards to seeing the likes of potentially Lamar Bogart getting a chance and Timor and does. But also, I know that we need to mitigate collapse, I suppose, as well as we go throughout the course of the season. At one point, they had three points, if we extrapolate that out through the rest of the season, that's going to make us very, very happy, guys. That's really, really good. Yeah. That would be super results uh, for us. Um, I did have, and I do apologize, um, you might have those uh, the, the statistics there, Dan, for the amount of times that Luis has played uh, with McGinn and so on. I did have them here, but I'm after cancelling them and I can't find them again. But I, And I know the context with regards to who those games were against and the teams that we played against, should I say, at that, at that period of time. Is quite important, but that's really what I'm getting at here. Is that you know if we can be if we can solidify with the players that we have in midfield, and I absolutely think that we can. Um, I'm not as worried about midfield as a lot of people are, um, and I think we can solidify within there. Um, and we can take points when we should take points. So if we get if we got a 1.4 to 1.1.6 points per game between now and the end of the season, we would be absolutely fine. Um that would be you'll be looking at probably about 20 points there, we'll put, put us on 66 points. And I I genuinely believe that of the next 14 games. If we were to to get twenty points out of the next fourteen games, which is a lot, don't don't get me wrong, it's an absolute, it's it's a pile of points. That means Manchester United need to get twenty five points from the next fourteen games, mm. and that to me that's, that's is a point, almost, yeah. you know, you know. So if you break it down into first principles that way, it gives us a shot, it gives us a chance. Now, in two weeks' time, if we lose to Fulham, we lose to Luton, and we lose to Forest, and we don't have any points from there, I'll be a completely different uh, different sandwich absolutely i'd be way like i won't be as, as as optimistic in this instance here but there is a pathway to opt to lots of optimism if we mitigate the poor results throw a few draws in there as well take points from teams that are around us i think that there still is very much a path and I, and, I, and and that's not me being overly positive or overly facetious about um, you know disregarding certain things i just think it's a rational a rational pathway to get to 18 to 20 points between now and the end of the season
0: Mm. And some of the things you referenced there about you know, just nicking points off people and and kind of keeping you know, if you get back into a uh, a game by a draw, don't lose it. That kind of mentality yeah. that it would also have been true if Kamara was still in the team.
1: Like the two of us would be here, absolutely beaming ear to ear, and the injuries would be a complete side note. If we drew to all with Man United, uh, and mm. there we go, we drew to all Man United against St- and St Stephen's St- Day, and we drew to all with Man United recently. You know. And they are the fine margins, I suppose. Here, the team yeah. will have to learn from that. The team will need to bat on in the hatches, and I do think there's a leadership aspect on the field that needs to come into play. But I don't think Kamara was that leadership aspect. So from leading, from losing that point of view, yes, what we do lose is that that anchor in midfield. But I am quite confident that we can tinker the with with the style of play with the people that that, that are there. I think Douglas Louise can do that job. Um, yes, we're missing out on somebody going further forward from from that point of view, but. The the biggest reason I would be disappointed uh, at the moment is if they just plonk Tielemans into that sixth role because I'm not convinced that he is very good there within this system. But I do think that there are options to replace Kamara within the team as it is. So positive point for me is so far so good when we've been without Kamara. And I mean that in a positive way from the point of view of the points that we've gained, we've gained the points Mm. when we should have gained without Kamara, we've nicked other points and we've only lost, what was it, we've only lost two games since since, uh, Kamara, when Kamara isn't in the team. If we can keep that up and we've only got history to go on, We'll be happy Bunnies towards the end of the season.
0: Mm, just to roll on from that positivity, I've got the results you mentioned for McGinn and Louise as a midfield two. Uh, There's a draw against West Ham, one all, and a draw against Sheffield United, one all, and then four wins, 3-0 against Bournemouth, 2-1 against Leicester, obviously last season, 2-0 against Forest and 3-2 against Burnley. So there is you know, mm. some evidence again. I appreciate those are lesser sides that you would expect Villa to beat, but still got to do the job, haven't you, that, and actually follow I, through on that and do the job.
1: I love those signs. We haven't beat some of those sides this year already, you know, so if we can turn yeah. those losses or those draws into wins, then hey, we're, you know, that's that's a positive, I suppose, from the start of the season as well. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: that's positive number one. Positive number two, Neil, Paul Torres is back, even if he's not 100% fit, you would expect him to be playing with Diego Carlos out with a hamstring injury as well, so... Pau Torres is back. Let's hope he's fully fit, Pau Torres, because if he is, that will absolutely mitigate any kind of not the total loss of Kamara, but having a different option to give us a different
1: outlet. Uh, that's that's a real positive, isn't it? One hundred percent. You know the, the the passing ability of Pau Torres and the way he opens up. Actually, ironically enough, how our midfield plays something I've been harping on quite a lot. Um from a defensive point of view, uh, you know the fact that he's able, to, his possession ability and the ability for him to to be that. I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it. That quarterback style uh, from starting attacks and so on um, has been brilliant. On the other side, I, I I don't think we lost as much of that passing ability under Clement Longley as a lot of other people. And I'm fully okay with getting pelters for that because the statistics actually bear out quite okay mm. from the point of view of the build up of of, of play. Yes, the long passing statistics and so uh, and stuff is. Uh, is a concern uh, because Pau Torres is so good at that. There's very few players that can play a, a long pass like Pau Torres can, and there's very few players who are good with ball at their feet as Pau Torres is. But the drop off the long leg for me wasn't stark from a passing point of view. Defensively, yes, I agree with. I think that at, at times, you know, certain times, Long left actually tried to run past the press an awful lot more than Pau Torres did, and at times that caused this caused this issue. But Pau Torres being back is huge. I think if nothing else, it would be huge from that, that leadership point of view, that dressing room point of view. And also that, this is going to sound a bit silly as well, but that he just, he seems to be sympathetic with what Unai Emery wants to do. The direction that Unai Emery wants to give. He's obviously played under him at Villarreal before. He just knows he can see when things aren't, aren't opening up in front of him like they should be and potentially caught out in the field. I haven't heard like I he, the players aren't mic'd up. I don't know whether that's the case or not. But it stands to reason that that when he was in the team we had a lot better movement. We, our, our movement was a lot more fluid and our midfield was less static. He must have been somebody who was pointing people around the place and where to go mm. and telling them what to do. And that type of leadership is good when we're when we're in possession as well. So yes, Pau is coming back into the team is a massive, massive positive. And I think Aston Villa fans have been looking forward to this because um he he is he has grown into that into that. Trend as uh, as the year has gone on. I do just want to mention one little thing here, and I don't know whether it's going to be construed. Well, it won't be construed as a negative, but actually it would be positive, I think. At the start of the season, losing Tyrone Mings was a disaster. Oh my God, mm-hmm. what are we going to do? We lost Tyrone Mings, and people question Paul Torres coming in. Losing Paul Torres is a disaster. Oh my God, what are we going to do? People questioned Longleg coming in. We've now lost Kanza. What I'm trying to get at here is that I think a lot of the times when we think about ex-players out, this is a disaster. We could very well be right, but there's also a massive opportunity for somebody else coming through. There's a massive opportunity for somebody else to take the the shirt. And Pau Torres is the biggest example of that at the start of the season. Like, if you were to say, what defender can we not lose this season? At the start of the year, it was Tyrone Mings. And we did lose him. And then he didn't become a massive loss. And now Paul Torres is back. We're going to continue that, as I say, that, that that aura that he's going to bring and that ability that he's mm. going to bring, that difference that he brings to that backline is going to be is going to going to show itself over the last few games. I think.
0: Yeah, and I said no negatives. What we really are on the bare bones of a, another centre back injury would be. Absolute, absolute disaster zones of Courtney Horse coming in for absolutely nowhere. Or Callum Chambers playing, who was you know, supposed to be shipped off in January. So, you know, I, I appreciate the point that there's, a, there's an opportunity for somebody, but at centre half specifically,
1: that has to be it. Now we can't can't deal with any more at the back. And Dan, you you know, you know the rundown, yeah. And I think that uh I think you're you're alluding to something that's coming later on as well. So <laughs> leave <laughs> that, we that for now? a while. Like. <laughs>
0: uh, let's do it now. No. Point number three. Point number three is purely Neil's when we were discussing this on WhatsApp this morning. <laughs> Liverpool's run with Jordan Henderson at centre half proves it can be done. So if we were to go down to the absolute bare bones at centre half, we can just stick a midfielder in there, Neil. Is that, is that what you're saying?
1: Well, it's it wasn't even that. It was to highlight that. And, and I know there's eye, I can hear the eye-rolling all across Birmingham right now when, you, when you've brought that one up. But 2021-2022, Liverpool played with uh, that Virgil van Dijk was injured. And I know this is quite a while ago, but they were decimated at centre-half. Mm. Decimated. They brought in some guy called Ben Phillips from, from Preston. Remember that? Nat Phillips, Kabak, Jordan Henderson. Mm. That was their back four. Yeah, absolutely. Historically, like like thrown together, and Liverpool got some good results out of that. And yes, I know they have Salah up top and goals, win games, and so on and so forth. I always go back to that. You can find a way. The positive here is that good managers find a way. And the positive is it, it's it's a bit. When I sent this to you, it was a bit of a clickbaity headline. I do know with regards to Jordan Henderson because it does bounce off the page. But Liverpool beat Spurs three one with Jordan Jordan Henderson and Ozan Kabak at uh, at mm. at two center halves. They beat West Ham. 3-1 as well. They beat RB, RB Leipzig 2-0. Yes, they lost to Brighton 1-0. They lost to City 4-1. They lost to Leicester City 3-1. But what I'm saying is, going back to the part that I said at the start, is that, remember, we don't need to win every game. We're five mm. points ahead. We don't need to win every game. We need to mitigate the disasters that happen. And we need to win the games that we should win. And we need to eke out points. And I'm not saying I'm not saying for one minute that, hey, do you know what? I think I'm smartest man in the room here. And I want to put John McGinn center half or anything like that. But what I'm saying is that mismatch center-half partnerships aren't a death that everybody thinks that they are. You go mm. back and you look at you, you look at Spurs' bad run this season. They had Derek Dyer and, and, and Ben Davies in there. They were still competitive. They were still really competitive in games. And they got points against teams from they shouldn't have. And yes, they lost an awful lot of those games as well. But we're in a lucky position. The positive I'm getting at here is we're in a lucky position that even if we had to go to Callum Chambers, Callum Chambers' Premier League experience, Tannem Chambers is a better defender than Nat Phillips. He's a better defender than Ben Davies of Liverpool, who never got a game for Liverpool. And he's a better defender than than Kazak was for Liverpool as well. It's not ideal, obviously perspective is that we have people who've been there who've done it and are and at, our, our, at a higher level than other teams have found a way to win or get points or rob points or steal points or stem the bleeding when they've had these players out we've got better players in there that can come in and do that than other teams have had so it's 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 all, it's just a kind of a perspective piece as well and it does tie in with the one i said at the start is mitigate the disasters if we lose make sure we don't lose two in a row make sure we're robbing points from teams when we shouldn't and make sure we win the games where we will put a dart in the in the fixture list and say okay we we want to go to Luton we want to beat Luton we want to go um we want to go to uh to Forest we want to beat we want to go against Forest we want to beat Forest if we've any aspirations of being in the Champions League we got to beat him. find a way find yeah. a way you know that's that that's my positive and and we've got players who've played centre half before so use them number four on the list is just that kind of contextualizing
0: where we are i suppose and that, that perspective a little bit we're fifth in the premier league we have a five point gap over the team behind us we have a a 10 point gap to west ham in eighth so let's say Know, European football you know, dropping out to none of the European places is, is eighth place, isn't it? But well, we've got a 10-point gap on that, which yeah, I'm not even suggesting that we're, we're going to finish eighth. But there is that 10-point gap to that at least as well. Um, a five-point gap to the team behind us is, yes, it feels small because it could have been 11 and all those things we spoke about at the weekend. But five points is five points. With our goal difference, it's 18 Man United is zero, which is always a nice little indicator of a team's true performance. For top six teams, to have a goal difference of zero is unusual. So really, that's a six-point gap. Effectively, it's a two-game swing, isn't it? Man United need to win two, and we have to lose two. So, in theory, yes, Villa lose two in a row, Man United two in a row, and it's that points gap is gone. But I think if Villa just chip away over the course of the season, as, as you've suggested, it's a nice kind of way of looking at it. That if we get twenty points, Man United need to get twenty-five. Such a simplistic point of view, but. That, those are the facts, and you know, Man United need to have a better 14 game spell than Villa do, and that's. I feel like um, we'll probably be okay
1: over that chunk of a season. That is really like, that is the bottom of the barrel stuff there when we look at that from a positivity point of view. But it's just fact. It's just rationale. Like yeah, you know. just to give us a little nod
0: sometimes to go, oh, but still, we've still achieved, like, yes, we've not achieved anything by being fifth in February, but we, we're already in a good kind of starting position. If you said the season started now, if you said the season was a four-team game season and day, match day one was this weekend, but when you start on plus five points and Man United start from zero, you go, that. couldn't put it better myself.
1: We can all sit here with our head in our hands going, oh Jesus, you know, we're not going to win or it's a disaster of a season. No, it's it's all over, ball burst. But are we going to be equally as jubilant then when Villa, if Villa do get into the Champions League? So, like, it's not for me to tell anybody out to be a fan. I certainly would never do that. But I'm saying, it's it, what I'm doing by this is not telling anybody to be disconsolate at it. I'm telling people that it's up to our team as a collective to find a way to win. It's up to our backroom staff to put players in the best position to win. You know, and mm. that's just the essence of every football game, regardless of whether we've got injuries or not. And they can still do that. It's been yeah. uh, as I as I say, Liverpool did it, and they they had went on a horrible run at that period of time. And, but they won games that they weren't expected to win. Point number five takes us away from
0: Premier League action a little bit off, but conference league knockout action is on the horizon, which is a genuine shot at Silverware. For Aston Villa, for the first time in twenty-eight years or twenty-nine years, so I look at that as a positive. we yes, the League Cup was very disappointing. Cool. The FA Cup was disappointing. The Premier League may not go the way we want it to in terms of Champions League qualification, and some will see that as a disappointment. But we're still well within a shot on the favourites for the Conference League, and that comes back soon, and that's an exciting thing. The last time we were in knockout football in Europe,
1: absolutely, it's all about brand building. It's all about uh, you know brand recognition as well. You know, the further you get in this kind of European competition hasn't done Roma any harm over the years. It's certainly like West Ham have have been able to sign players off the back of it, you know? So it's all about recognition, you know, within the continent, within within the you know i suppose world football and so on and look it's a european trophy now in 20 years time people won't care whether it's a whether it's the third grade european trophy or whatever it'll be a european trophy and it'll sit there proudly alongside our european cup that we've won yeah so i certainly think it is a positive i i i will be watching the playoff rounds that they have now with great um with a keen eye, just to see what's happening in those as well. But um I am delighted we're not playing in February. The way that, the way things are at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, with these three games that we have coming up in the league, all steam ahead for those ones. If we like, if we were if we were to get seven points or nine points from those three games, I think we're in an absolutely brilliant position in the league, and then we can really, right. really look forward to the Europa Conference League for sure. Point number six, Neil, is a very simple one, and almost I've written it down on a piece of
0: paper, almost tongue in cheek. Unai Emery is Aston Villa manager. If there's, if there's nothing that gets you up for being a Villa supporter or positive about the future and the outlook of the club, there's no, well, there's few better managers in the entirety of the Premier League than the and I as a coach as a manager. If that's not a reason to to get you up and make you feel positive, then there's probably no helping you at this point.
1: Absolutely, and once again, it's like it ties in with all the other points that we've made here as well. Is that, and it's going to be the phrase that I'm going to take from this podcast. Is you know, if there's somebody who can find a way, it's probably going to be and I You know, he's won a European Cup with uh, Raúl Albiol at thirty. 30- like if there's a if you could be thirty eleven he'd be like he's that old um you know playing at centre half somebody who's told his legs were completely gone and he played absolutely outstanding for for um Emery at, at centre half for Villarreal. and you know he he can set up teams correctly and, and he's he's a good tactical manager he's a good good system manager and, and as I say look he's going to be tested over the next few weeks uh, absolutely with the, with the injury list that we have um but as i say put it this way would you prefer to have Una emery with a, with a with an injury list like this or would you prefer to have david moyes with an injury list like this and once again i picked david moyes because he's next on they're like i think whether they're their seventh uh, in the league right. so far Eight is it? Yeah, but they're still they they're on the rails, like from that point of view. But would you prefer Davun Emery with this injury list or David Moyes? And, and borderline be sectioned if you said David Moyes, like you know. <laughs> so it's ah uh, that's just the reality of the situation. Oh, well, just to follow up on that, actually, I've got
0: uh, seven or eight Twitter comments in front of me o- over this side. From Paul, first of all, I will just rattle through these, and you can comment your piece on the end at the end. Who says if we'd got these injuries a few years ago, we'd be being relegated. And that kind of follows on nicely from the point you just made of Emory or Moyes. If this squad was happening now under Paul Lambert, Tim Sherwood, Alex McLeish, but any of the managers of the 2010s onwards who had this amount of injuries and wasn't as good a coach as Ian Emery's, this would be a disaster. This would be, wow, we've got to play kids at the back. I'm really not sure about that because we've not cr- recruited well in the first place. Diego Carlos and Clement Longley to be fourth effectively, and fifth-choice centre-halves, that's not a bad position to be in, and that comes from good recruitment in the first place. So, Paul Spahn, really, if this was happening six, seven years ago, probably a little bit longer, eight eight or nine years ago, you'd be worried about, well, how are we going to get to 35 points, 38 points? At least there's none of I know our aspirations are very different now, but there's no serious threat of of anything bad happening to Villa yeah. which is a very silly t- thing to say given where we are but I think it's fair. Uh,
1: well I'm old enough to remember Kevin Toner playing centre half for Aston Villa and Chris Hurd playing centre half for Aston mm. Villa so yeah, um, and with greatest respect to Chris Hurd and Australian international and Kevin Toner who's now playing with Lincoln I think it is and came back to play here in the League of Ireland and um, somebody who I was told that might even be related to but I've never met him in my life. Um, wow. They are not of the quality of Clement Longley and Callum Chambers mm-hmm. or of uh, Clement, or of Clement Longley and Diego Carlos as well. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like the drop-off is stark from what we had in Kanza and, and Ming's Kanza and Pau, but it's not as stark as it could be or it has been for the teams for sure. Mm-hmm. And you're right, you know, you're right. They... The, the, any one of the ACLs would have probably been a um, a season juttering uh, injury. And, and it may still end up that way, but there are still reasons to be positive, you know, and you can only talk yeah. about things on any given day. Simon says, Simon says, every Simon team at some point during the
0: season will go through a sticky period and we are not immune to that. This is our sticky period. We just can't afford
1: it to be a prolonged one. Arguably, we're going through a sticky period since we lost to Manchester United on uh, Boxing Day, 27th, 26th of, uh, of December. Then... How many points were we... We were... Actually, I won't. I'll just go into it. We were eight points <laughs> ahead of Manchester United. We've only lost three points on United during our bad our bad uh, patch. Yeah, and they've apparently had a massively good patch during that period of time. So if you go back towards the, the when we beat Arsenal uh, on the 9th of December, um, mm. we only lost eight points and our three points on Manchester United since that time. Okay, so to f- to further your point from the beginning of the
0: show, that if they've get twenty, Man not need to get twenty five to overtake us. Let's make it like twenty six because of the goal difference. So if they've only managed to make a three point, and again, it doesn't work like this. But if they've only managed a three point swing in nine games, and there's fourteen games left in the league they will not make up a six-point swing. I asked on Twitter, reasons of positivity, please, Villa fans. And Ricardo said, yeah, loads. Uh, John McGeehan will declare that Aston Villa in one voice will not go quietly into the night. This is what makes teams, players and supporters face down adversity, siege mentality. We're Aston bloody Villa. We're not going to roll over. Come on, let's attack this run, which I really liked. Dobby says, we won't get relegated. Yeah, that is a humongous positive. Thank you for that. Uh, Villain, tongue in cheek, says clocks go forward next month. That's also a positive. I was out very early this morning in the car and it's nice to be not driving in pitch black. So yeah, I noticed mm-hmm. that today. Uh, Andy says, I'm in Gran Canaria and it's beautiful. Yeah, fair play. Very jealous of that. Uh, Sean says, we've got Adidas next season and then the David Brent gif, every cloud, you know. Uh, so that that's nice. Uh, and Andrew says, players who come in should be fresh and hungry. Uh, Fulham, Luton and the Forest aren't that good. Again, they are positives and I do look at those three games even before this spell and thought well, they're all winnable and I still feel the same way. Six, seven points is a bare minimum out of those three you'd expect. But if we
1: were to go seven or nine, then that is a huge statement. United played those three teams over that period of time as well. So we just play them in different sequence. So it's going okay. to be a huge barometer for us if we better or equal their results uh, against those three teams they do have a bit of an easier run in than us um, well may or may not they've got everton to play you know and, and we know what everton've been they've been kicking up sand in a lot of front runners faces over the last couple of weeks so um but that these next three three games are so interesting because we do play them in different sequences so it'll give us a good barometer as to where we are with regards to Manchester United before we face into an essentially what we hope would be an 11-game shootout before, towards the end of the season. Yeah, and the start of that 11-game shootout is Spurs at Willow Park as well. And that's that's tasty as well, isn't it? In its own right. Yeah. Uh,
0: the final positive from TK to end the show is we are not Birmingham City. And that's always a positive that we should definitely remember as Villa supporters. It gets definitely worse over the other side of the city. Thank you so much for joining me. You're one of the most positive Villa fans and positive podcasters out there. This was a a nice, positive, happy podcast. Uh, Hopefully we can follow that up with a match preview tomorrow uh, after John goes to the press conference and we'll react to whatever news comes out of that. Uh, And then it'll be the post-match show for Fulham. It's a Saturday 3 o'clock kickoff, so it'll be a 7, 8pm podcast
1: on Saturday night. Can I do one, uh, one, one other positive? Aston yeah, Go 24 minutes ago just put up a picture of Tyrone Minks back in Baltimore. Oh, lovely. Seven reasons to be positive. It's a positive. Lovely <laughs> stuff.
0: Right, we'll call it a day there. Thanks to those that watch this live on Facebook. Sorry I didn't integrate any comments, but there were a couple of negative ones. And I said at the start, no negativity in this show today, only positives allowed. Um, so Neil, thank you for joining me. Thanks everyone for watching. If you're watching this on YouTube, then please scroll down into the comment section and share your reasons to be positive as well. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. I've been tasked with getting 250 reviews and we're on about 240. So if you want to go over and leave us a review, that'd be very handy and help me uh, impress my boss as well, which is always good. That's a positive. Thanks for watching and we'll see you tomorrow and Saturday. Cheers everyone. Torah.